Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 235 and this episode is with the head of performance at SW7, Chris Toombs. Chris has a background in a number of different sports, so we touched on what football can learn from those sports. We also covered a lot around velocity-based training. Well, I say a lot, we actually skimmed the surface on VBT, really, with the amount of information that we could cover in a podcast. But we went on to talk about a bit of an introduction to velocity-based training. We then talked about how you can use velocity-based training to individualize training, some metrics to focus on, and then also how velocity-based training fits alongside your more traditional strength work. So we covered quite a bit of detail in this one, but I do feel like there is probably a need to do a follow-up episode as well, just to make sure we can get into the details. So if anyone has any areas that they'd like us to delve into more, I'm sure Chris will be willing to come back on the podcast and go a little bit more specific in those. So please reach out and let us know what you think. As this episode goes out, we are only one week away now from our next networking event, which is down at Bristol City. We're at the Robbins High Performance Centre. We have been there before. Brilliant facility if you've not visited the, the facility already. And we've got one hell of a lineup of speakers. We've got Head of Medical Performance, Dave Rennie. We've got Lead First Team Physio, Andrew Proctor. Also, first team sports therapist, Lewis Bins, first team assistant sports scientist, Sam Cook, and also head of fitness and conditioning, Patrick Orm, all presenting for us at that event. Tickets are still available. So if you're interested in coming and joining a number of different coaches from the area, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and then networking events, and you'll be able to grab your tickets there. And anyone that's a member of our online community, make sure you check out the community and the WhatsApp group for the discount code on that event. As I mentioned, discount codes as well. Anyone that is going or looking to go to the Soccer Science Conference this year, there's an unbelievable lineup of speakers. So go and check it out over on social media because they're releasing speakers all the time. The event is going to be at St. George's Park this year on Monday, the 22nd of May. And if you want to get tickets, if you're interested in getting tickets, make sure to use the code FFF10 at checkout to get yourself a little bit of discount. Just finally, before I get into the episode with Chris, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Games teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance. You can achieve every goal you set, plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. The meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey into a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at The Good Prep. And also use code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. I've also got to add to this that if anyone is using the Good Prep at the moment, we have just literally just had the tandoori chicken with pilaf rice and mint yogurt for tea and it was incredible. So make sure you go and check that out. I've got to say the pulled chicken as well. I could probably go on about their menu forever. 
the pulled chicken dish that they do as well. Absolutely amazing. So if, you, if you're already on one of the plans, make sure you add that to your next order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. I'm also very excited this week because I have got a pair of Hytro shorts coming as we speak, being sent out. So I'll report back on how I use them. I'm going to use them for a little bit of recovery work, a bit of hypertrophy work. Really excited to get involved in the product because I've already got the t-shirts and I absolutely love them. But we're going to get into some lower body work. So I will report back on how it goes. Finally, a massive thank you to Rezzle doing some absolutely brilliant work and just developing all the time. It's brilliant to see the progress that the guys are making over at Rezzle. Big thank you for their support. Make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle over on socials or Rezzle.com. And let's get into it now. Episode 235 with Chris Toombs. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 235. I'm not quite sure how it's taken this long to get this guest on the podcast, but Chris Toombs, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. And I can't believe 235 already. I'm just going to write a little note to myself here. Look out for 235 in a few weeks when the old post, when the post-production has been done. Hopefully the, that- the light's not shining off the top of my head there. That's when the internet crashes because we get so many listens on it. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. Those three. Chris, no, in all seriousness, I really appreciate you coming on. I just want to say a big thank you to Josh Fletcher as well for the hookup and and the recommendation. I really appreciate it. We've spoke already about a number of different topics that we should have recorded, um, but let's get into what we actually agreed now. And I know you just joked before that this might take a while with a very extensive career that you've had so far. Can you give us a two, three-minute version of a bit of a background on yourself? I'll try and do it in two. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah, 28 years working in professional sport and across the fitness industry. Started my career as a personal trainer back in the 90s. Um, We did joke offline about the internet. The internet didn't exist when I did my undergraduate degree and my master's. So that just gives you a little bit of a kind of, insight into the age profile that I may um, may be owning. Um, okay, so I, I guess performance sport-wise, I'm trying to do this in that two-minute window. Um, <laughs> first job in professional sport crossed uh, the academy and the senior first team for Leicester Tigers. Pretty uh, exciting time to be at Leicester Tigers. England won the Rugby World Cup. That's going back in 2003. 
Um, and it was my first exposure to velocity-based training. And I know we'll we'll talk about that as we as we go. Um, moved across the, the road to Wales and did a pretty good stint at the Cardiff Blues, now Cardiff Rugby. Um, nine seasons there, which again spanned the academy program. And I graduated to the senior program alongside some of the the sort of now more high-profile players who ended up playing for Wales in a couple um, for the British and Irish Lions. Um, that was nine years. Um, bounced over to the United States for the first time, worked for a rugby organisation who essentially were tasked with developing and growing the game in North America. It was a commercial business, but it did sit quite closely aligned with the national governing body, USA Rugby. Um, I did two two years in Seattle. My youngest daughter was born in Seattle, so it's... Um, it's a place that's kind of close to my heart and more on that later because I did go back in 2019 to work for the Seattle Seawolves in Major League Rugby as part of Major League's professional kind of uh, rugby program there. But in the in the meantime, between the first and the second, I did a year at North Hans County Cricket Club, which was an exceptionally uh, fun and enlightening uh, year in professional sport outside of rugby, which is something I'd not done um, at that particular time. Um, my toe in academia for three years and worked at the University of South Wales as a strength and conditioning lecturer and alongside that did some private work with a downhill mountain biker which was super fun and worked in semi-professional rugby uh, like I say then went back to Seattle to do um, the performance lead role for Seattle Seawolves in Major League Rugby and now I work as a I guess a contractor um, I work for SW7 Academy, which is Sam Warburton's online um, strength and conditioning business. I essentially have got head of performance title and I do a lot of the, I guess, quality assurance around programming and the back end kind of um, bit of content creation, which is kind of fun on the digital side of strength and conditioning. And I also work across coach education, uh, velocity based training mainly and uh, dip my toe into sports tech as well with output sports and a company called Strive who do um, surface EMG technology. So that was probably more than two minutes, but I think you get the impression. Uh, that was yeah, impressive. Done a fair that... few years in this game. <laughs> Not only was it impressive with the CV, but it was impressive on the time as well. So well done on that. That was, that was top work. In terms of um, the role now, Chris, you obviously mentioned about SNC support. What sort of, obviously, the, the Sam's background in rugby, yourself in rugby majority as well. Is it mainly rugby players that you're working with? Is it a mix of sports? No, a mix of sports. So, yeah, the the, I guess the premise of the of the platform is to give um, elite level training to any anyone who wants to develop athleticism. So, um, and in a hands-on kind of sense, we do a once-a-year lifting club, which is hands-on coaching for those who are essentially based in South Wales, because that's where, that's where we're positioned. But we have um, elite level uh, women's footballers who've used the platform. We've got footballers, we've got cricket players, we've got um, a lot of people actually from uh, GAA. Um, Gaelic kind of um, sports have come over and because they want to kind of blend their athleticism with their, I guess, the collision element of their sport. And yeah, rugby is, is obviously a core market for us as well. We just spent the week in um, Roslyn Park Sevens actually down in London, phenomenal event. I mean, that's that's the kind of general, genuine impact that we want to make, which is providing players who haven't necessarily got access to good quality strength and conditioning wherever they're, wherever they're based. Um, really good programming that's going to develop those, those physical qualities that are going to allow them to shine in their 
given particular sport. But yeah, the the programming essentially is all geared around a better athlete. And then we hope that that will transfer to them becoming a better player in their chosen sport. But yeah, we're not specifically pigeonholing ourselves as rugby rugby specialists, even though that's where most of our kind of background comes from. So with the rugby, cricket, the downhill, all the experience that you've got so far, what do you think coaches, sports scientists, S&C coaches that working in football can maybe take as a lesson from those other sports? What are some of the key standouts, you think? Um, I just think all of us can learn from each individual sport. And I, I really do believe that um, there's crossover with all of them and there's commonalities with all of them. I think as I've got more experienced as a practitioner, I'll just give a frame of reference. When I was a young academy uh, practitioner, I was very much obsessed with my subject area almost living in that silo of well if they're faster they're bigger they're stronger they're leaner they're, they're they're fitter then I've done my job and I think one of the things that I guess my professional practice has done and how I've evolved as a coach over time is that actually I've, I've taken the physical prowess piece and woven that into the tactical technical and psychological integrated nutrition integrated sports psychology integrated the sports science elements and actually have a philosophy now which is all about are we as support staff and practitioners enabling the players to become better players and better people and I think that's the biggest thing that I think we all can take whether we work in football cricket rugby the downhill mountain biking stories hopefully we can dive into that a little bit more because that's that's a mindset thing for me where you're training a person who is paid <laughs> to ride a bike downhill as fast as possible through trees, over rocks. One one error then leads to catastrophe. And the reason why I ended up training this particular athlete is because the first time I met him, it was in the in the fracture clinic. And I think he had just broken his arm and he, the previous injury had been a broken collarbone. And I saw some of the videos on YouTube of him crashing at 50 plus miles an hour, hitting trees and all sorts. And it was the most exciting and kind of uh, challenging journey for the both of us because I had to manage essentially someone whose mindset was always red, uh, flatline, you know, redlining, going 100 miles an hour. It's got to be that was the mentality. And I and I sometimes had to do some, I guess, putting the handbrake up and say, mate, just go five percent slower so you can actually finish on the podium as opposed to finish in the ambulance. And it was literally it was one of the best experiences I've had. And I haven't even really spent much time reflecting and speaking to him about it, but um, I might signpost him to this and hopefully he can never listen in. But I mean, going back to the football piece, I just think strength and power was always my, was always my kind of bias, but also I've been speaking to football practitioners in, in recent months, particularly. And yes, we want to transfer everything to the grass. And I said to someone actually yesterday, this is genuine conversation. You don't have to do your strength and power training in the gym. You can, if you're resourceful enough and you've got a level of adaptability, take some of the methodologies of developing strength and power and, and put them on the grass if there's a level of resili uh, uh, resistance to what you're trying to implement from a, a practical application standpoint. And I just think having those conversations in and around the the football community that crosses over to the rugby community, the cricket community. I mean, cricket was a really interesting um, 
kind of diversion for me, but with the the level of skill involved, and to some degree, again, using some coaching, I guess, skills to enable players to value strength and conditioning more mm. because they were so, so skillful, but didn't necessarily value the support staff in terms of what being a better athlete would do for their game in terms of their ability to recover from the the physical exertion, the recovery elements, the the nutrition side. So, you you know, that, that whole 360 degree approach to performance. And I guess it took a few pretty you know significant conversations with some players to actually get into their psyche around actually we're here to support you we're here to help you we're here to help you realize your ambitions and your fulfill your potential but you're leaving something on the table if you don't take some of your strength and conditioning seriously and we both know we've both been around the, the performance block long enough to know that not everybody is going to value strength and conditioning as highly as someone like a Sam Warburton or Lee Halfpenny, whose work ethic is absolutely exceptional and their their diligence to that element of their performance is second to none. There are players who we're going to have to coerce and coax and, you know, cajole to get them into the gym or to get them to do some things that essentially they, they might not see as really important pieces in their performance. But I think if you can have that coaching connection piece there and you can actually get on their wavelength and ask them, you know, how we can support them better, then I think there'll be that greater buy-in from their perspective when it comes to actually, even if I just do 25% of what the coach is asking me to do, I'm going to become a better player. And if we can, if we can, if they can become a better player, they'll have career longevity. They'll, like I say, they'll fulfil their goals and they'll be, you know, most sports people, especially at elite level, they're alphas. They want to be the domineering kind of player in their, in their team, in their league, whether, whether that's whichever sport. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, going back full circle to, you know, my studies before the internet, I loved the fact that I kind of went down the the sport science and or sorry, sport and exercise science and the psychology route mm. because I really think that's helped me as a practitioner. And I know we'll probably talk about, you know, what a young coach can do for the future for their development and what have you. But I love the fact that I took a real interest in the sports psychology route as well because I think some of that's really helped me engage and connect with players because I think that's still a crucial, crucial element, Ben, you know what it's like in the digital age of, you know, strength and conditioning and information awareness on the internet and, you know, the deluge of scientific journals that are, you know, publishing on every single subject area that a, a human could think of. The, the young practitioners are definitely going to get overwhelmed by the amount of information out there. So I think but the, the psychology side and the and the physiological physiological side are, are absolutely huge. And you've obviously you can't ignore tactical and technical. Of course you can't. So it's that it's that whole three hundred and sixty degree approach. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's it's really interesting bringing up those different cultures as well from those sports that you mentioned. Because obviously, if you're talking rugby, football, and cricket, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a there's a lot of differences going on in those sports. Obviously, from the demands of the actual sport. But it's interesting what you spoke about. From a cricket perspective, the skill-based sport where you're having to maybe fight battles to um, or prove to players that the impact that you can have on the field. I know I've spoke about a similar sort of thing a number of different times in football. Can you think of any specific examples? Obviously, you don't have to share names or anything like that of wins that you've had with players in that situation or maybe the mindset that you've had to tap into to get players to go from 
either seeing gym as punishment or seeing gym as something that's going to take away from time that they work on their skill or whatever it is that's restricting them to stepping in and getting the work done to then you putting something in place and getting them in there. Yeah, I mean, oh, Ben, honestly, I, I literally could have a giggle with you about a ton of different players who struggled at first to go to the gym and then inevitably over... I mean, I, I was only at North Hans for one year, so you know the team, so I just named it. But um, I was only there one year. We had a, we actually did have a relatively successful season. Um, proudly, we won T20 um, at, in Birmingham, which is a cracking, a cracking sort of culmination of a lot of different things and some cracking players as well. But um, to answer the question, um, one of the opening batsmen was absolutely... He had a phenomenal season, absolutely phenomenal season. Um, I guess, to put it as simply as possible... I really kind of adopted a reductionist approach to strength and conditioning, i.e. Um, the least we can do to get an outcome that we're after as a, basically as a coach and a player. So in context, just say we, I always used to love getting this, whether it's right or wrong, it's just my way of maybe doing stuff. So I used to get the speed gates out on the outfield all the time. And I used to, it was the carrot, well, I'm not saying the carrot and the stick, but potentially it's that kind of analogy, which would be, okay, guys, you know, during practice, we'd warm up. I mean, there's going to be bowlers bowling. There's going to be batters batting. We're going to do a little bit of physical preparation. We'll do our warm up. And then what I wanted to do is three to five efforts through the speed gates over 20 meters. Not a massive amount of volume. We're talking about, what, three times 20, 60 meters of flat out effort, five times maybe if you've got a little bit more diligence or you want to just do a little bit extra. Anyway, the other, the other kind of carrot to that would be if you give me 90% of your best effort, which we've obviously done some benchmarking in the off-season and what have you, if you give me 90%, a 90% effort or, or within 90%, sorry, of your best effort, your PB, you're done. So you'd have guys, you'd have some guys giving me one rep. Yeah. Because if they're in the, if they're in the ballpark, I know we want to add a level of, resiliency to our programming and we want to add a little bit of volume to give them some sort of level of protection as well but ultimately the win the win was are you going to give me effort mm. and one one effort within 10 percent of your personal best is fast enough in my view to retain that physical quality so we've done something we've retained your speed qualities this week you've given me one effort yes we can argue for volumes and extra reps and all that sort of stuff but in this particular context getting one extra one effort at maximum intensity is better than nothing so that's the first thing so that was a, that was a win the other one which we can't help to talk about when when i'm on a podcast is the introduction of velocity based training and that was also another little bit of um i guess coercion to help players and provide players with instantaneous feedback that from my point of view as a practitioner allowed me to know whether they're making any effort or not and once you start creating a level of competition and almost gamifying some of the training process you actually have that player engagement again so just things one of my biases for those who know me is the hex bar jump so very low load some relatively high velocity movements um let's put the at that point in time it was um a tendo unit tethered linear position transducer. Now I use other technologies. Um, I will mention output, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but anyway, that those two things in tandem 
pretty much laid the foundations for more engagement with the player group. So in summary to that, it's objectivity and a level of competition stoked the kind of furnace when it came to driving that training intent and training effort. And those are two of the introductions or two of the only things I did that had a tipping point from a few people being involved in or engaging fully in the strength and conditioning process to much more slash the majority of the group getting involved with the, the training process and giving a little bit more. So, and then there's obviously those micro conversations as well. I mean, I'm sitting on the balcony one day with two relatively um, senior players talking about supporting them with their goals and their, them, you know, fulfilling their, their kind of career objectives. And like we said, most professional cricket players, football players, rugby players, they're, they're competitive humans. You don't get to be a professional sports person unless you've got a, a level of alpha and a level of, you know, resiliency and, you know, you've gone through a bit of adversity. So we're talking about contracts. We're talking about how the game's progressing. And now you're talking about franchise cricket, which is, for those who don't follow much cricket, is short formats of the game with with um, relatively high paydays uh, all over the world. I mean, one of the boys that I'm talking to on this balcony here has just literally returned from uh, the South African T20 competition this, this winter. He spent the last two months in the, you know, Cape Town and Port Elizabeth in the sunshine, um, made a half decent kind of, you know, toffee. And that was the other catalyst here, which was get on the wavelength of the player with what they want to achieve out of the game. And some of them, it might be, you know, wealth. Some of them, it might be dom dominate and leave the game, you know, with a great career record. Most, most of them are kind of interested in making a tidy living, of course they are. So this was the other catalyst for this conversation, which was, do you want to play kind of pro cricket in, in England for a few years or do you want to have a long career where you can obviously increase your earning potential, you know, 10x by being better? And by being better, I mean tactically, technically, psychologically and importantly from my point of view, phys physically. And we had a conversation and now both of those two players are still playing professional cricket I've been out of cricket for six years and they're also making a relatively tidy living playing this franchise type cricket and I don't know it's not just physical of course it's not but they've got to appreciate that physical training is really really important and complementary to their skills training and their their development as a player and that for me is a win but that was the coach connection piece that went alongside a little bit of integration of technology and I'm guessing you know you've seen my bio it's 28 years long I have a relatively, I guess I've got a level of skill to be able to connect and communicate with players to, yeah, drive a level of buy-in that proves them as a player. Because I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for them. We are yeah. support staff. We are supporting other people's goals. And as soon as they kind of recognise, I know this is a bit cliche about this whole soft skills thing, but if players recognise that you do deeply care about them and their development, there's a level of trust that's in in entwine then in the process of training and that will hopefully lead to positive outcomes and that will be that's transferable to all sports i love those examples because a lot of people listening maybe not had the exact um experiences that you've mentioned there but there'll be something that resonates where they feel like they've put something in place you could do more but at that time it's it's plenty and you're getting that buy-in and, and it's a win isn't it 
So I think I love those. I wanted to dive into the velocity-based training part because obviously it's something that you've spoke about a lot. Um, I don't know how we've not had a conversation yet about this, but just on that side, just to start with, in terms of that buying for the players, because you obviously mentioned the two areas then, getting that speed exposure and then getting essentially in the gym, working with things like a trap bar, like a trap bar jump. What was the attraction, you think, from the player's perspective, introducing velocity-based training and not just in terms of doing that jump or an exercise without the velocity-based training? Yeah, I mean, going back to that specific example, I mean, I can use plenty of other examples. In I'll probably use some rugby references because they're, I guess, they're more relevant from a performance-orientated standpoint, and we'll go back to that in a minute. But um, in the cricket example, and actually with the with the hex bar, um, with the uh, mountain biker, there's two things there which I hopefully will touch on now. The cricket it was about engaging them in the process of getting to the gym and doing something constructive, and and I guess amplifying their performance through competition. So, you know, boys going up against each other with a fixed load, just say it was a 40 kilo or 30 kilo hex bar jump. It's like, right, so-and-so's jumping at one meter per second. Can you jump faster? As long as they're technically kind of competent, we didn't want to just see fast reps that were just ugly. We wanted to see, you know, technically well put together lifting, but also, you know, just just drive competition. That was the, that was the premise there. But then once you've got them there, engaged you can then do some other high quality work while you got them it was getting them there first and getting them into that mentality of this is going to be important for, for our kind of carryover and our transfer to on-field success which was the hardest thing in the first place but once we got them there we can then start molding a program that has more than just a hex bar jump in it do you know what i mean but then but the other good example of integrating velocity based training with the with the um with the downhill mountain biker there were two things that were really cool about that particular project. And I, like I said earlier, he wanted to drive down the hill as, or ride down the hill as fast as he possibly could. And when he stayed on, he ended up doing pretty well, but he fell off quite a lot because he just he just pushed the limit. But one thing that um, this particular rider always wanted to do when he left the gym was feel like he felt at the end of a race, which was absolutely exhausted. And the one thing that velocity-based training allowed us to do, and well, there were two things. The first thing was, uh, again, about developing trust with this particular rider, which was the goal of our training together is to for you to help make the bike go faster. So doing circuit training, which is what he had historically done in his life, is not going to help you make the bike go faster. And I'll tell you why. And, that, and this was the conversation we had as, as coach and, and athlete. And anyway, long story short, we stopped killing, well, he stopped killing himself in the gym and we developed his strength levels to the point where actually, I know this may or may not resonate with, with people and it may or may not sound impressive. It doesn't matter. He went, he did a triple body weight hex bar deadlift. He was a 70 kilo boy man and he ended up doing a 210 kilo hex bar deadlift. So he was incredibly strong, but, and we use velocity based training help us make some ob objective decisions when it came to his actual training program but the reason why i say that not just to say oh he's a triple body weight hex bar deadlifter but when we came to measure his peak power output on a watt bike six second test he went from 900 watts to 1700 watts in a six month period so in line with that we saw with the strength stimulus his hex bar went from about a 
I think it was a 108 to start with to a 210. So he put 100 kilos on his on his hex bar. So he got stronger. He, he, he put more power through the pedals every time. And we, we obviously charted that over a six-month period. And that got me the buy-in with him that we don't just have to do circuits all the time because he saw his numbers on this watt bike peak power test keep going up and up and up. As he got stronger, he could produce more force. He could, you know, the downstroke on his pedals. He wanted more, he wanted more power. He is a gravity sports athlete. He wanted to push that bike as fast as he could down the hill. So that, but the integration of velocity-based training helped us dial back on some of the intensity that he was used to in terms of just flogging himself. We could literally deliver really good quality of strength stimulus. So that was another, that was a good example of using the VBT. And going back to my rugby days, a lot of it was about their physically, you know, physical prowess in rugby is essential. In, in order to dominate collision, you know, you do have to be strong. You do have to be powerful. There's not many rugby players who miss out on the gym. Don't get me wrong, Ben. There's tons of people who, a bit like cricket and football, we have to coerce. They want to play their sport. They're exceptionally mm -hmm. good at their sport. The gym is not the be-all and end-all. And I totally respect that. And We have to understand the mentality of players. But for the most part, physical domination in rugby is kind of part and parcel. Weight sessions are normal operating procedure when it comes to a training schedule and a weekly weekly exposure to different training stimulus but um yeah the velocity based training piece for rugby was actually interesting because yes i want to develop maximum strength in players but also i think creating vbt allows you to give the appropriate dose on the appropriate day given some of the numbers and managing the demands and manipulating the loads to get what you want out of a particular training session so if you are experienced with velocity-based training, you can give a player a specific dose of strength work that's not going to be, um, I guess, taking away from preparing them for the weekend by overly fatiguing them. You still have to lift some heavy weights at times throughout the season, and we understand that. But ultimately, you cannot necessarily always, always be hammering high-intensity, 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 and, and getting those players into that kind of downward dip of fatigue and residual fatigue so that's the thing that really captured my attention when it came to understanding more deeply the bbt and its applications because you can dose appropriately without creating like i say that level of fatigue that's going to impact on week to week performances at the weekend and as you can imagine with rugby i know you come from a different background but the collision element of rugby is exhausting and massively fatiguing so the thing in the gym, yes, we still can't get away from developing strength because it's an important quality for your game transfer, but we're not going to kill you in the gym as well as kill you on the field. And that that synergy of integrating tech and delivering the right stimulus at the right time in the right amount is super valuable. And that's why I'm so passionate about VBT because I think whether you're a footballer who wants to be fresh and prepared for you know, week in, week out exposure to high level competition. Strength training is absolutely for me part and parcel of your everyday, or not everyday, but your weekly exposure to load has to involve some level of maximum strength and other strength qualities as well. And you can just, I guess, manage it really, really effectively with that integration of technology. Now, we put a tweet out last week just covering some of the stats and numbers included on our online community at the moment. So we've got over 100 presentations and webinars now uploaded on the community. 
There's 25 plus nations represented in our members, 175 plus clubs, 20 plus club roles. So Sports Science S&C, there's loads of different roles, including on the community as well. So it's not just for Sports Science and S&C. And we've got over 220 members now on the community from right around the world. So you can connect with them all on our platform. You can also get access to all the content that's already on there and will be uploaded very soon as well. We've got some new content coming. Make sure you go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and you can sign up to a free 30-day trial there. See what it's like. You can check out the content. If you remain a member after that, which obviously we hope you do, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And then once you become a full member, you also get access to our members WhatsApp group, which I know a lot of people take a lot of value from. There's over, I think there's about 120 plus members in that group, all at your fingertips. So if you've got any issues you want to um, chat to people about and communicate with other coaches about, they're literally there on your phone, ready to engage. And there's been some brilliant discussions recently. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up to a free 30-day trial. Here's part two of the podcast with Chris Toombs. I want to get into some of the, because um, obviously you mentioned like different phases of training and how that would be slightly manipulated depending on what metrics you're using, what metrics you're looking at through those periods. Um, but it's really interesting you, you're talking about those battles you're facing because especially with the with the mountain bike or the downhill guy, because in football, I think a lot of the time, the bat, I'm, I'm talking now probably a few years ago, I do think this has changed a little bit now, but a few years ago, the battle would be that players' natural approach to the gym, especially lower body work, would be such high volume, it would cause a lot of soreness, which would mean they either do it or they don't do it. It was that there was no area in between on, in terms of like changing the approach. It was either I do I do it and get sore, or I don't I don't train legs because I get sore. And I think this is this is the extra information that players are yeah. needed because now yeah. it's a case of no 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 it's not it's not do or don't. It, there's there's a middle ground that we yeah. need to educate on, and I do think a lot of players and a lot of teams now are using that middle ground. But it's just really interesting you. Talking about that, obviously you talked about circuit training. It just resonated with me that it's similar sort of battle that, that people have faced. Yeah. No, absolutely. I've had a conversation with um, with a couple of guys in, in Europe about this, around training for strength qualities and the soreness piece for football particularly. And that's the challenge that the the community is facing. And that's that's rugby, that's cricket, that's, that's football, that's netball, that's field hockey, whatever sport people are, are dealing with when it comes to supporting those those athletes. But you're right. Uh, I always say time should never be a constraint. Especially, well, if you're a professional sports person, time should never be a constraint. There's always time to do some strength work. But also, I think, Ben, that the point that I'd like to make is that it doesn't have to be an hour-long strength training session. You know, your, your leg example is absolutely perfect. One, I use velocity-based training for four exercises, essentially. If you can squat with competency, squat. Hex bar is my kind of bias and go-to for, for most athletes because it's so athlete-friendly. Bench press, bench pull. That's pretty much it. There's a couple of others, but four main exercises. So uh, just to use an example of, say, an academy-aged um, footballer, 18 to 20. It's really important that you get strong. 
for for performance and for robustness. So there's two stra- there's two strands to sell to the player. Do you want to be robust in order to make that next step to the elite level and stay there? That's the first one. And the second one, so that's performance. And the second one is, yeah, robustness. You're going to stay there once you get there. You only need, I mean, if you're going to work the full spectrum of strength qualities, you can jump, you can do something moderately heavy, you can do something heavy. You can probably do five total, I mean, five total sets, Ben. Jump jump once, one set of three with a low load and high velocity. Just call it 30 kilos. I mean, that I, rugby context, you know, you've got guys who can do it with, 250 kilos so it's 30 kilos is like nothing 10 percent of one rep max but just say anywhere between 15 and 30 percent of one rep max jump once one set of three with maximal intent put the little uh, whichever device you use if you're using velocity-based training in this context one one set max effort give them a device to look at you've got some instantaneous feedback are you moving this bar at 1.5 meters per second yes or no okay no it's too heavy I know that sounds it's only 30 kilos, but you're not you're either not giving me enough intent or you've you've not got this the the underlying strength qualities to move something light quick. So we'll we'll work on something else. But in the in the real world and in in, in in this particular example, one set of three, that's all I want you to do. One. Then put 70 kilos on the bar. Give me one set of three, moving the bar at between 0.7 and 0.9 meters per second. So you've got that kind of middle ground of strength speed but it's still it's moderate but it's not really heavy okay give me one set of threes that's you've done two sets so far and then give me three sets of three to five with 100 kilos or 105 110 depending on the context of how strong you'll understand in in real terms wherever you're placed how strong that athlete is so you're not asking them to lift anything more than they're capable of but you give me three sets of three to five at, with the starting load at about 0.6 meters per second, maybe working down towards 0.5 and at, at best 0.4 meters per second. So heavy, but not really heavy. You give me five sets on a trap bar. That's going to take, if you're warm, that's going to take 20 minutes. Yes, you can then do some hamstring kind of accessory work and you maybe don't want to do some glute or some, some trunk core work, whatever. Mate, you can do that in half an hour and you won't be sore. And then you can layer that again and again and again and be consistent and be consistent, be consistent. And before you know it, the the academy age player who's got a 100 kilo trap bar will have a 150 kilo trap bar. They'll be stronger. They'll be able to move people around more. They'll be able to manage contact because let's face it, football's got as much, not as much contact as rugby, obviously, but it's got a level of contact. It's got a level of, you know, that resiliency and robustness that you need to change direction, accelerate, start, stop, whatever. And those those things get a player to give you three sets two sets at the heavy end two sets is better than no sets especially if you see them twice a week and that's how it starts and then you get them on the hook yeah physically being able to dominate and have their physical prowess kind of extend to the transfer onto the field then you'll have a player buy-in but you've got to be able to win you've got to be able to win that first conversation haven't you that's that's the gold because there are some who like you say they're all or nothing it's like hold on a minute you don't have to train. Soreness is not a good indication of, tra- of training effectiveness. Mel Sift got a great quote. I can't quote it face right, um, word for word, but I'll I'll find it for the show notes. Yeah, and um, I'll share I'll share it with you. It's a great quote. It's only about three or four sentences, but it, in, in summary, it's literally saying any fool could make you tired. It's having enough. It's having enough stress to adapt to that training stress without being too much. 
And that's, again, not wanting to harp on, but that's why I love velocity-based training, because you can give an appropriate stimulus without driving a player into the ground. That's where the gold is. It also ties in with what you mentioned before. The main goal that players will come to you with isn't to like increase muscle size or do any sort of hypertrophy work. A lot of the time, anyway, obviously there's going to be time and a place for that. A lot of time it's going to be, I want to get faster. I want to, I want a better acceleration. I want to be stronger on the ball. These are all things that uh, should be lighting up like cues in your head. Correct. Well, that's the other thing that you've got to do. And that's the other thing that I think is really important from our point of view as practitioners. Everything that we do in the gym is not to satisfy my goals as a coach. Because if you're stronger, Ben, that's great. But if you're stronger, but not a better player, yeah, we're not actually doing our job because the job of a support coach and a performance staff member is to make sure the player is better. We can't lose sight of that. That's vitally important. So you're absolutely right. Why are we doing this exercise? A better player. Secondary benefit, you get stronger in this exercise here. You've just given me three examples of how getting basically, you know, base level of strength in the gym up to a level is making you better in, in performance context. That has to be that has to be the focus and the focus of our conversations and the focus of our work. Because like I say, there's no point. I've I've got some other cracking examples, mate, of guys who are super strong and powerful. But they actually, this is in a rugby context, they weren't good at the sport. They were professional level. Mm. They only stayed professional level for a year or so because they always went back to or resorted back to their strengths, which were the gym and not on the skills. I've told players before, and I've said this in a few other podcasts, I've told players to get out of the gym. The gym is not your limiting factor. You are one of the strongest people I've ever tested, and I've tested a lot of people. You are one of the fastest and most explosive humans I've ever worked with. But your primary role on the field is letting you down because he was a, one of them was a hooker. You can't throw in. You give away so many, you know, free kicks or not straight penalty or not straight scrum kind of resets because you throw the ball to them. It's like your job is to throw the ball straight down the middle like an arrow, and you can't do it. Yeah. Various, that's that's not just that's psychological that's tactical technical it's you know you you've got a crowd behind you and you just get the yips or whatever there's there's a lot of factors that went into it but the the point you're getting is physiologically that's not your weakest link work on your skills and just give me a tiny little bit of a dose he's the perfect example for a 20 minute weight session so he give, he satisfies his need to do weights great i've got no problem with that but actually go and spend another 45 minutes on your skills yeah, And this is the same context that will help footballers get better. Just give me 20 to 30 minutes of good quality strength training twice a week. Over a 12-month period, that's 100 exposures to strength training. Over a three-year period, that's 300 exposures. Just think of a 16 or 17 or 18-year-old, even a, even a senior professional. 300 exposures to strength. I know it's difficult. We've got such high-pressured environments the premier league obviously other leagues are are in in the world as well but they play you know twice a week at times the winning at the weekend is so important for a lot of people but so is winning in five years time so Mm. is winning in 10 years time as a a player you don't want to just have be a one one year wonder you want to stay in the league and yeah all physical qualities contribute to your performance but yeah just yeah that you get the context just give me give me an hour a week for the rest of your career and you'll it will hold you in good stead i can certainly you know have confidence in predicting that 
anyone listening that's struggling with players on that battle, you need to just clip those last few minutes and just send it to them. <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. it'll help. It, it's got to be. Well, that's it. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully the young practitioners who may have this battle have got the ability to communicate with their players in the 21st century way and share a podcast with those players of theirs and go listen to this bit, this bit here. And like you say, clip 40 minutes to 42 minutes. Listen to that, a little soundbite. Because yeah. some players, it will resonate. And you, I mean, I'm sure we, we're going to talk tech. You know, players are going to own their own data, aren't they? Players are going to be more invested in how they stay fit, how they can, you know, maintain their performance advantage. Because we can't get away from the fact that the riches involved in football are huge. And one extra year as a player is a is in the in the high leagues anyway. It's a seven it's a seven figure income. Yeah, it's like massive. just put just invest an hour a day or an hour a week, sorry, in your strength training, and just guess what? You might get an extra year. You might get yeah. an extra two years. And I mean, of course, we're going to bias towards physical training. It's part of our kind of professional DNA. But yeah, some people we got to fight with, and we've just got to yeah, guess get get creative. Yeah, and, commu- and communicate communicate effectively. Definitely. Chris, I want to get on to our quick five questions in a second. Okay, but just, sure. just before we do that, I, I wanted to just touch on training for f- different physical qualities using velocity-based training. Because yeah. obviously we, we're at a time of season as we record this where we get into like crunch time for football where it's the last few um, fixtures and mm-hmm. then we're going to be into an off-season, then we're going into a pre-season, then the whole season starts again. So there's going to be times yeah. of the year where we have slightly different focuses so if sure. someone's using velocity-based training with their players or individual players, what are your sort of go-to metrics? Where are we focusing for different parts of the season, for different physical qualities? And I realise yep. this could be a podcast in itself, by the way, as well. No, sure. No, the, the, I guess the, the short answer and the summary would be, I'm not a massive fan, and it, it has its application in hypertrophy, but I think in a sporting context, quality of strength and power is really really important even in the off season so if let's go let's go to football strength and power qualities in the off season no running demands you can spend a little bit more time and a little bit more volume and ben as you suggest we could probably do a whole podcast on this because i'm just <laughs> my mind my maybe we should as well that. maybe we maybe should because it would be a good area to tap into okay okay well right right now i would not be overly uh, concerned about volume more about the quality and getting people based off the back of our conversation we've just spent uh, time having just good quality strength training Monday, Wednesday, Friday and just literally three main exercises a a lower body dominant bilateral maybe a single leg variation which you can integrate velocity based training into as well a push and a pull literally on rotation I know it sounds really boring Monday, Wednesday, Friday um, X bar deadlift step up push pull plus some accessory stuff monday wednesday friday honestly i know it might bore people to death but literally the exposure the consistency you can manage and manipulate volumes and intensities of course you can like every other periodization uh, methodology but that that for me would be the start point for football doesn't get in a very long off season does it there's that psychological kind of decompression that i think is essential um I mean, do you do it for two weeks before you go into pre-season? And then and you've got to marry this up with the running demands, you see. I'm always, I'm a very, um, I know it's a bit of a cliche term, but minimum effective dose. I'm massive on 
you know, three three good sets every other day is better than smashing yourself for 10 sets in one session and being sore like you've suggested. So that that would be, I think it's more about a habit and more about, excuse, more about a habit tracker and just getting in the habit of, right, I'm going to just, I am going to just do six to nine sets a week on my lower body and I'm going to spread them out evenly across the week. And there's going to be warm-up sets and you can jump like we've suggested already. You can jump with the hex bar. You can do a moderate moderate load. Using the velocity-based training device as a guide to how ready you are to do the heavy stuff. So if you literally, let's go back to our first example we used 10, 15 minutes ago. Jump once, lift something moderately heavy once, do three, three what I call sets to develop maximum strength qualities. Five, five sets, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And just watch how that sort of, um, I guess, pans out over the first three weeks. And then from there, you're literally going to be able to manage then into the in-season. When you see the running demands of pre-season go up and up and up, you're going to then be able to just manipulate the amount of work you do. So it might be that some days you literally, I know this is, seems like a really simple way of doing things, but in terms of getting player buy-in, you know, you might have an on-field, I mean, football historically, I'm not sure does kind of double days and, you know, multiple training days, uh, multiple uh, training sessions in a day. But in, in rugby, that's commonplace. You'll do a field-based session, you do a weight session, that's everyday behaviours. But you can then look at literally just a maintenance dose in the pre-season of two sets of three heavy twice a week so you've gone from three sets which isn't exactly enormous demands to two so you're actually you're just reducing the volume slightly but you're also in the grand scheme of things just ticking over with that physical quality time and time again and that that is where you'll get for a player as well because you won't get the soreness from that and yeah. yes of course you've got to add that hamstring resiliency and that calf complex and all those other things as well but in terms of your main loading, it doesn't take that long, especially you can even, and I'm toying with this concept mentally in my head, and I have spoken to some um, football uh, practitioners about this as well, about how you can fit every single training unit sequentially and without kind of competition of, of um, you know, damaging the, what's the right word I'm looking for, the, the interference effect. How we can do a two-hour training session that gets everything. So it's almost like you do your speed session at the front end of the where you're most nearly most fresh. You then do your tactical, technical, your running based demands, and then you do the the strength component at the end of a two hour window. But what that does, I mean, this is how my mind works. And I'm trying to provide the best possible performance solutions and also give players the time to recover, the, t the time to be away from training, the time to spend time with their families, et cetera. Can you do everything in a two hour window and then give them all the tools to recover, good nutrition, you know, all the all the other recovery modalities that are available, the massages, the, you know, whatever else might be pertinent to that particular environment. But yeah, I mean, these are the things that I'm trying. You can be so efficient with your velocity based training prescription if you understand the mechanics, you understand the mechanics and the mechanism of it. It's a it's a fun little puzzle to try to to sort of put together, really. And I think that's what all of us as practitioners should be doing, trying to get the best possible solutions for our player groups. Yeah, love that. I love the sort of outside of the box thinking as well, because I think that's really important with what we do and how we apply this stuff as well. Um, it makes complete sense as well, trying to tie things in together to give players that time away, which 
again, we've spoke about it before on the podcast about the sort of badge of honour and being in the training ground oh. for so long. It's it's not needed. It's it, players need to get in, get the work yes. done, and get out. Correct. And Ben, on that, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen over the last twenty or so years is bringing players, and this is cricket, this is rugby, this is football, bringing players to the training ground for a recovery session, bringing tra- players to the the ground, the training ground for what in rugby terms was the captain's run, that 15 minutes worth of kind of final rehearsals. It's like actually in the long term, mentally, physically, tactically and technically, give the players time away from training backgrounds to decompress because the pressures of elite sport are high. And I think as a performance coach, I recognise that. As someone who's coached a lot of high-level players, I recognise that and so do they. The time away, just because they're highly paid, doesn't mean that you have to sort of own them 360 days a year. And I think that's a massive step forward for us as a, um, I guess, as a profession and as people who work in sport and with people. You cannot literally own a player for 350 days a year. Yeah. You know, a, time away is actually really, really valuable for, for both. And obviously you and I mentioned Josh at the beginning of this. You know, Josh Fletcher would be a massive advocate of more time off not not to idly waste it because it's actually decompression and psychologically you re- regeneration and all that stuff. But because if you get your training right, why why have players that are training every single day? Other than other than for control, yeah, that's the reality. That is the reality. But anyway, yeah, no, it's, there it's there's my there's my mini rant. <laughs> no, it's so true. I've literally had a conversation with with a friend this morning who's whose team are are up there challenging for promotion and they're in training most days and they're crying out for that time away just from the club um just in terms of this time of year yeah this time of year, yeah massive yeah. i know football particularly and like i say i've worked in this sports tech sector now for probably close to two years and i've got to know a little bit more about the football culture and some of the football snc coaches and met some some new uh some new professional relations and what have you there's so much pressure to be, like you've said, wear the badge of honour, be at work every day. But you're so tired that you can't think laterally. You can't think clearly around, you know, solving problems for, for your, your particular team. And just having that decompression away from sport to catch your own breath and be a high performer. It's, it's a big challenge. It really is a big challenge. Yeah, definitely. Chris, I could discuss this stuff all day. So I think we do need to get another episode in because I feel like we've skimmed the surface of some topics I think we could probably go quite deep into. I wanted to finish with the quick fire questions that we finished the podcast with. The first of which is, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, Oh, God, there's 28 years worth of names. Do you want me to reel them (laughs) off? I really love... Okay, so I'll give you... I mean, I'll, I'll quick quick fire. Paddy Upton. He's a performance coach who's based himself primarily in, in uh, elite level cricket. He, um, he helped me um, shape my philosophy when it comes to a, a terminology called collective intelligence, which is using everybody's intellectual property to you know, improve a team. That's players, coaches, um, physios, you know, everybody, psychologists, nutritionists, everybody has value to add to an environment so Paddy Upton will be one um, Jeremy Shepherd who works in elite level um, action sports now he's with the Canadian uh, snowboarding team 
I think his general kind of demeanour as a coach is phenomenal. He really does blend. He's a PhD, so he blends academic horsepower with what he called dude. He's like he's on the. St- <laughs> I mean, he's he's a he's a snowboarder. He goes camping out in the in the wild of blooming Whistler in Canada with his boy. I mean, he's he's a he's got a bit of rebellion about him. I love I love him. Um, there's a guy who goes very much under the radar called Ben Williams, who's with Ineos. Um, head of performance services for the Ineos group of uh, sports and they've got a ton of sports. Uh, ben always leaves me seriously um, kind of, I guess, suffering imposter syndrome because I, st- I think I know nothing. He he goes into the big, he's a big aerobic physiology guy and I'm a big strength and power guy. So we kind of clash in the middle of differences in philosophy, but we always have a good, robust discussion. Um, a guy called Mark Bennett, I went, this is my fourth and probably final. Actually, I've got one more. Um, <laughs> Mark Bennett. Mark Bennett was a phenomenal mentor for me when I was young. Uh, really, really did help me understand sort of the history and uh, some of the underpinning science around strength and power training, particularly. He was at the Welsh Rugby Union when I was. And Craig White, who subsequently exited uh, strength and conditioning, was also at, at Welsh Rugby Union when I was in, in Cardiff. He was a phenomenal coach who really helped me appreciate not just the strength and conditioning side of performance, but a bit more of that 360 degree approach to player development. That was that kind of catalyst for my kind of change in philosophy from, oh yeah, they're fast and strong. So I've done my job into actually, are they better player? And that was about 2007. So what, 15, 16 years ago. So those those five particularly, I'd say, but I mean, Ben, there's a host of names that have had a massive influence on my career, both as players and performance coaches, particularly. And what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I was going to say strength, but it's a little <laughs> bit my, my super strength is my is my kind of I guess my my knowledge in and around that I guess. But I personally, and hopefully the player group that I, or the player groups that I've worked with would say it's that coach connection piece. I'd say it's that it's that soft skill of being able to really communicate and effectively. I guess, have influence over players. I mean, I'd like to think that if you asked a few players that I've worked with in the past, what they, they would say that it was my my strength to be able to connect. Brilliant. And what would be your top bit of career advice if you went back 20-odd years, Chris? Yeah. Gave oh, yourself wow. some career advice, what would it be? Yeah. Um, I would think it would be, going back that long, be so blinkered to look within strength and conditioning for solutions i think one of the biggest and best things i ever did and it is still in sport over the last probably i remember it actually felix Bumgartner jumped out of um, space didn't he and i think it was over just over 10 years ago but before that i got into red bull and action sports and i actually and it's a bit going back to your question ben around um what could football learn from rugby and what could rugby learn from other sports Learn from other sports is particularly one of the things that I would have have said to my younger self. If I could go back, I'd go and look at much more broadly performance. That that would be performing arts, creative arts, engineering, um, the music industry potentially, alongside like high performers. I'm just reading a book now from Dave Grohl called The Storyteller. And Dave Grohl, for those who don't know those young people who've never heard of the Foo Fighters, um, (laughs) Dave Grohl, was absolutely passionate about being 
in a band and being in a successful band and chase that goal and chase that dream. And he displayed high performing habits, in my opinion. But you'd never you you've got to look outside of your your circle and your bubble. And that's the the biggest bit of career advice I could give a young practitioner would be get out of your bubble and go and look at diverse solutions for potential problem solving for your future self. And final one, mate, before you've got the school run to tackle. (laughs) (laughs) What is your approach now to CPD? Continued learning, staying staying on the ball. What what is your approach to that? That is a great question. And I'll tell you something that pursuit of mastery is never ending. So I, I love a guy called Dan Paff, who's got to be in his seventies now, Altis, one of the best um, coaches I've ever had the privilege of speaking with face to face. I guess, yeah, my, my approach to professional development is it's one, it's never going to end. I mean, like I say, I'm just turned 50 something. Um, and I sometimes really feel like I know nothing about the industry. It's so broad and so wide. And I know we talked off air just to answer it on how much information is now available online. It's quite staggering and overwhelming, if I'm being brutally honest. So having a great filter is part of being a good practitioner, but also having a filter of understanding your professional development and where it needs to go for your career development and career longevity is something that's also important. So I guess... Summary, it's be thoughtful around what you're going to need to develop yourself as a practitioner and as a person. And it might not be just, like I say, the book smarts of strength and conditioning. But I will say, because we did talk about this off air, I wish some of the young practitioners would have a a better and a deeper appreciation of the people who've gone before them. I think if you asked the, some, I mean, some of the well-read will be able to name, you know, the Schmidt-Blikers of this world and the Verkashankskis of this world from a, strength power perspective particularly but i think some of the young practitioners now they may read the journal articles of today but i don't think they've got an appreciation of the of the people who've come before them in the industry and i think that's something from our point of view as slightly um older practitioners we we do understand and respect who's come before us and i think leg- legacy wise can we can we leave strength and conditioning or performance in a better position yes we can of course we can but how we do that is you know, by on, honouring those who came before us as well. I think that's something that I'd I'd love the the sort of um, Instagram and TikTok generation to have maybe a bit more of a deeper appreciation of some of those kind of rock star scientists who were around before the internet was invented. You know what I mean? But maybe that's just me being a old fossil and a bit of a romantic when it comes to that sort of stuff. No, I think it's a great point, mate. Chris, that's been superb. Some great information. I know we've we've sort of rushed through things a little bit there, well, it feels like so anyway, but there's some absolutely incredible information there. And I mean, it, let's try and get another one in because I think there's so much more we could go into and I really appreciate your time. No problem, Ben. It's been brilliant. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to episode 235 and a big thanks to Chris for coming on as well. I know he's got a super busy schedule, so I really appreciate him coming on. It's I don't know why we've not had him on yet. It's ridiculous. Um, but finally, we have had him on and I hope you enjoyed the episode. And just on that, if you did, please make sure to click the five stars over on iTunes and leave us a, lo- a little review. And if you're listening on Spotify, it's even easier. Just literally click the five stars. But yeah, Chris, thank you very much for coming on. I do feel like there's a need to follow up this episode, though, because I feel like there's a lot of areas that we could have gone into that we didn't cover in probably as much detail as we could. 
So just off the back of that, I'd love to hear from you. What areas do you want to hear more around VBT? Obviously, it's a topic now that, or a method now that a lot of people are using. What are some of the things that you want to hear more about and more detail about? Obviously, Chris is one of the best around in terms of the, the work that he's done around VBT. So I'll definitely reach out and try and get him back on and maybe even tackle some specific questions that you have. So please reach out. You can email us, mail at footballfitfed.com. Or you can just drop us a DM over on social media at Football Fit Fed over on Instagram and Twitter or even on LinkedIn as well. Just search Football Fitness Federation. But I love this episode. I think we covered loads of great stuff and it absolutely flew by, which is always a good sign of a good episode. Um, some of the things that stood out for me, driving competition. It's something that we've covered before, but I think it's really important. Obviously, VBT allows you to do that. It allows you to keep things individualized for people, but also we're working with competitive athletes. So do it, driving that in the gym, creating that con- competitiveness in the gym is only going to get you better results and better intent and effort from players as well. And then also looking outside of S&C. I think this is a, an area that a lot of people are starting to look into more. What can we learn for, from other sports, other industries even, not even just sport? There's a lot of lessons to be taken and, and being innovative and creative with who you reach out to and some, some of the conversations you might have and the lessons that you take from people. I personally think you can take something from every single conversation you have, whether that's good or bad. Um, and then it comes down to how many conversations you're going to have. And I think having that as a mindset and an approach will only make your program better and your approach better as a coach. So some great stuff covered by Chris. I really appreciate him coming on. Just finally, before I let you go, make sure you go and give some support to our sponsors, The Good Prep, doing some incredible work around meal prep. Also, Hytro, Blood Flow Restriction Training, and Rezzle doing some brilliant work in the world of VR. So make sure you go and give them a follow, go and give them a bit of support as well. I really do appreciate them all and you for listening as well. So a big thank you for your support. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 236.